Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Ramisha Motolo, who's the commercial director for industrial and mining for Gilbarco Viador Root. Hopefully I have uh, pronounced that correctly, um, who are a US-based fuel management system company that offers digitalization and fuel management systems to mines aimed at decarbonization and quantified downstream improvement. Ramisha is an author, speaker, and voted in the global top 100 inspirational women of 2020. Um, And we're here to discuss the role of women in the mining sector and what mining leaders should be doing to create more inclusive organization to leverage the competitive advantage of a diverse workforce, and women can have a competitive advantage in the mining sector. So let's get straight into this this topic, and that's welcome Ramisha to the podcast. How are you doing, Ramisha? Hi. Hi, Rob. I'm great, and you? And um, hi to all the viewers. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. I'm extremely excited to contribute. Yeah, and I appreciate your time. And um, yeah, obviously, uh, you approached me I think it was on via LinkedIn to um, to sort of discuss this topic, and obviously we've got we've got a lot of lot of questions that we can ask and then, and obviously discuss this. So, first of all, just wanted to give our audience um, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your sort of background, your history, your career um, up until sort of present day. Okay, no problem. So my name is Ramisha Motilal. I'm currently the commercial director for mining and industrial for Gilbarco Vida Root. Uh, like you were saying, Rob, Gilbarco offers fuel management systems and digital sol- digitalization solutions to the mining sector. So really, really evolved a lot of innovation. Uh, I started my mining career approximately nine years ago. So I have a background in supply chain management. So historically, I studied supply chain management, entered the mining sector in supply chain, and ended up in a sales-orientated role. I used to head up surface drilling and exploration, and it was one of my dreams to sell 150-ton machines, and I ended up doing that. So we, I was part of the team that introduced the first um, intelligent machine in South Africa. Uh, so that was really something that was exciting for me. Um, my journey into mining was quite different. So I started in supply chain and didn't have similar issues. I normally had to just prove myself and the metrics normally take care of itself. When I joined the mining sector more from the technical point of view, uh, that's when I started becoming more aware of how my gender plays a role in the industry and how the typical things that I used to do professionally was not working. And and that's how my journey into Macho World started. I basically started a MBA dissertation, which was titled, Do Women Add a Competitive Advantage to the Mining Sector? And there I started researching what are the current barriers and how can we get more women in the organization and how do we leverage to get this competitive advantage? And uh, that progressed into a book, into women at work groups, 
and all the rest. But my intention was really to serve other women and make sure that we can have more gender parity and we don't have to go through similar challenges I went through so that the generations that come forward and our daughters and their daughters don't have to have the conversations we're having right now. So, so that was my intention. So right now at Gilbarco, um, I am a commercial director, but I'm so privileged to be able to follow my passion and empowering coach women now. So I'm a speaker globally and I advocate for women and basically um, empower organizations on what are the metrics and tools um, they can equip themselves with so that we can have gender parity and leverage this competitive advantage if we have diversity and, in and inclusion as a strategic pillar. Yeah. So that's me what? in a nutshell. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's good to hear. It's good to get a background of the, of the person, that, especially with that, that I'm actually interviewing. One question was, how did you get, why did you, or how did you get into the mining industry? Was it a case of you went and applied for a job that was in the mining industry or was it your passion to get into the mining industry? Oh, very good question. So I was in supply chain and naturally as a supply chain um, professional, you'd apply for supply chain roles. So yeah. I came from automotive and I found a supply chain role. I actually interviewed for the mining sector and I was declined for the role because they felt I, did, I, I interviewed for a sales role because I was, do, I was in supply chain, but I, I found a passion in sales. Um, I was not successful in the sales role, but the person that interviewed me was so intrigued by me, he offered my CV to his supply chain professionals and said, hey, you need, to, you, know, you need to get this person onto your team. She's great, but mostly she fits a supply chain role. So I naturally navigated into mining following the supply chain uh, pathway. And I knew my passion lied in sales. And if you normally continue um, in a career for so many years, you get to that monotonous stage where it's not a challenge anymore um, and you're looking for something different. And for me, midpoint my career, it was sales that I was more drawn to because I could relate more to people. Um, I was better at communicating. I'd like to demonstrate value to customers. So I was looking for that opportunity. So I joined in as supply chain. I headed up inventory management for Africa. And naturally I used to stand in for my vice president at senior management meetings and the VP recognized my input that I was giving towards the sales um, general managers. And so one day he called me up and said, you need to join my team. Because I used to challenge them on some of the sales metrics I used in my career um, that I picked up on. And so then I started off in sales and that was a whole new dynamic, which ended up becoming a book. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about your book a bit later on. Um, but what's it like to work as a woman in the mining industry and obviously you're you're passionate about that and obviously this is I suppose where your career has been headed and obviously with the release of the book and and I suppose a lot of maybe other podcasts that you've been on and um, other you might have written some papers articles etc um, I just wondered if you can give your opinion of 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 a woman working in the industry when you work in the mining industry, it is both rewarding and it's both challenging. What's really great about this industry is that it's an evolving industry. There isn't a lot of women. It's evolving so fast 
So there isn't a boring day in your job. And for me, I'm in that space, or I was in that space early on in my career and now, uh, where you hate the monotonous role and you're looking for that excitement. You're looking for the next best thing and you're continuously improving. And that's what I find really great about working in the industry is you can always do better. Um, it's evolving. We, we really have a strong focus now on ESGs. So it's not really about mining anymore. It's about extracting minerals responsibly. And to me, being the millennial I am, that speaks goes to my heart because we care about the environment and we want to make an impact. So I believe that the mining industry speaks to those two metrics for me because you got to love what you do and you got to have a passion. And I believe that when you contribute, you're able to succeed uh, way more better. So it's challenging. What, what is really good, though, um, is that human beings obviously want to see progress. And in the mining industry, it's one of the sectors where when you see the progress, you're able to celebrate that more. And so that aligns to where I'm going and, um, and what speaks to my purpose. Yeah. Um, obviously, you've been in the mining industry now for, I think, nine years, you mentioned. What are the key skills you think that a woman needs to become in, in, into, I suppose, a senior management position as, as you are now? Was there, is, I mean, is there different skills that you needed in different sectors to, to compare to mining? Or as mining, as woman, to become, to get into a senior management role, do you have to have a certain skill set? In my mind, in any career, whether it's mining or any sector you're in, you got to be clear on your purpose and your intention. So when you have a clear intention of what you want to get out, I think that's really clear. But if you don't have a big enough why and you're just doing it because it's your next career, and, and some of us are in different areas um, in our careers, what's clear is you need to know what's your intention uh, when you join the sector. And as a senior manager, I think when you have a strong sense of purpose, you're going to navigate through the challenges in the industry like anybody else. So it's key that you understand, why am I entering this mining sector? What do I want to get out of it? And you will push through no matter what. Um, when it comes to being a female in the mining sector, this is where my leadership skills is really questioned because in supply chain, it was really about the output. I think it's way more evolved so we had more female executives on the leadership team. Yes, it wasn't as many as it normally should be, and there wasn't gender parity, but people recognized women. In 2014, when I joined the mining sector, it wasn't as evolved. So I made that typical mistakes, like any junior leader. I was naive, and I thought, well, if my male counterparts were were assertive as leaders, I needed to be assertive. And if, if they were firm and they didn't believe in EQ, then I needed to be like that. And I slowly started to uncover that by mimicking leadership behaviors of men, it was actually the wrong thing. And I perceived my leadership behaviors as being a female because I was empathetic, I cared, I was strategic, I was technical, but I felt that I had to mimic them. And I believe that if you were confident, then you were successful. And you know what? There's advantages in being introverts and extroverts. So when I did my research, I kind of uncovered what are the leadership qualities that make human unique, uh, women unique in the sector? And what are the leadership competencies between males and females? And when I did that research, we were able to uncover that men, uh, women exceed leadership capabilities. There's so much research done by Harvard 
on many key leadership metrics. So it was okay for me to be female. And that's when I started just being comfortable with, with being me. And when you're authentic to yourself and you're really real, and I was okay with, okay, I do feel for that person and I'm going to be an empathetic leader. Um, I'm going to be softer and that's okay. I'm going to drive the results, but also show my elements of care. And you know what? That does not make me weak because these are the key leadership qualities that make you succeed because you're able to get results through people. So in terms of what, what capabilities you need, I think be comfortable with your leadership capabilities. Um, it's what makes you unique as a woman that brings that diverse element to the, to the boardroom. So usually it was only me that would question something and I'd have a team of my, my male colleagues who didn't know better as you know, then, and they would say, no, you know, shut that down. For instance, LinkedIn in 2014, I reached, I never had mining contacts. So I reached out to all my mining contacts and I asked them, hey, do you want to reduce cost per meter by 25%? Reach out to me, I'll show you how. And when I pitched that idea to my, my innocent male colleagues, they were like, what are you talking about? You're irritating customers, stop doing that. And I ended up uh, securing really good meetings at Dwarfs River, at Anglo, at Glencore by doing this approach. Uh, and now when you look at where LinkedIn is, it's so evolved. So sometimes when you are that silent voice, it's not the wrong voice. And what's important is we just create that awareness between all genders. Um, and once people know better, they actually do better. So, so that's what I advocate for. But talking back about your point around what are the key skills, for me, it's leadership. You need to be comfortable with who you are as a leader. You need to also leverage your strengths. So don't try and be something that you're not. And don't try and improve your weaknesses. So as a leader, we sometimes just focus on the things that we're not good at. But when I learn to leverage my strengths, which is being futuristic, being a strong communicator, and being strategic, you know, those things outshine the, the weaknesses. And that's something that's very critical for all people in any sector is leverage your strengths. When you, when you show people how to shine and what they're doing good at, they're going to do more of that. Um, and you don't need to magnify the weaknesses. Two things that's very critical for being a woman in, in any leadership position or a senior management position is being strategic and technical. Because already a lot of us possess the the high EQ, we possess the good communication skills, we're able to read people. But when you're able to be strategic and also understand the technical elements of your role, you're able to get more results faster. So that's something I've always done. If it came to when I was in automotive, I would overall an engine, understand you know, how to adjust tappets, change injectors. When it came to being in the mining sector, I understood what is compressor management, um, you know, cost per meter. I understood what's rate of penetration, what are the metrics that are key, how to uh, measure total drilling costs. So some of those things women normally shy away from when they're not good at. Um, sorry for that. That's all right. Um, let me just silence that. So, so what's really key again, I'm going to summarize, leverage your strengths, um, it really look at your leadership skills that make you unique. And thirdly, you've got to be strategic and you have to understand what is the technical outputs of any role. Yeah. At the beginning of the question, you, you mentioned assertive. Is that a key skill, do you think, a, a female in the industry needs? And I suppose it depends how you come across as being assertive. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say assertive and dominant, 
but assertive in your thinking, in your critical thinking, in your ideas, with obviously backing that up. Is there, do you think, do you feel women do need to be assertive? I think women need to be true to what feels natural. And if the role requires you to be decisive, you have to be decisive. Mm. But if you are not assertive in nature, you're going to feel unauthentic when you start pushing that. So for me, it's really about being decisive and understanding the power of influence. So, and I don't think assertiveness is the only method to get that result. So it was quite difficult for me, Rob, to, to understand that difference and understand how I could get results with what tools made me unique. And, um, and that's what I would share with people is just look at how you can be decisive. Women shy away from making decisions. They shy away from uh, being risk adverse. And sometimes it's okay to make mistakes. For me, make the mistake, learn from it and fail forward. Uh, what is key is about having a leadership team and having a immediate team that feels okay with making mistakes. When you get penalized for, uh, if there's a penalty for every mistake, rather than taking the lesson and moving forward. And if that's the culture, then I don't think that's the right culture habit to have. So for me, it's about the environment you have. And if you're okay with making that mistakes, you're going to be okay with being yourself. I, I really... I want to advocate for <laughs> against assertiveness because it didn't work for me personally. And, and when you try to be very assertive and it's not natural, you always feel like you're unauthentic and that you, you're faking it. But when you're real and you, you're able to get the result, I think that's, that's much more of a stronger um, output. What I also, sorry, my phone is just going crazy right that's now. Right. Um, What's, what's also really critical when you're in a senior management role is don't stress about the small things and the noise and the negatives and the, and the weaknesses. Really focus on the results because nobody can ever take away your results in your career. No matter what people say about you, no matter how they feel about you, um, no matter what happens, your results is something you can take away through every single job you have. And that's something I've always done throughout my career is put my head down. What's the result? What's the objective? And when you stick to the facts, you just blur yourself away from the noise. So, so that's what's important. You also have a very, you need to have a very strong sense of belief. Um, being in the mining sector and men not seeing this many senior females in roles like this, it's changing and it's evolving, which is great. But women need to also be cognizant that it is a different environment for men too, to have females in. And I don't think it's a war against men and women. I think it's about creating an awareness and about both of us uniting to see both perspectives and then reach common ground on it. And that's what I think really brings the success is when you're able to argue um, really professionally and then reach common ground on key decisions to drive an organization and drive the sector. And that's where the real juice and the real uh, competitive advantage is. But when you shut down the next person disrespectfully and unprofessionally, that's when you're really losing the essence of why we're here. We're here to be competitive. We're here to improve the environment and we're here to reach the next level. And how do we both put our heads together professionally, hear our counter arguments and mutually agree on the way forward. And it's okay to agree to disagree with somebody. 
but it's just about how professionally you uh, you communicate that. Yeah, certainly. You've, you've certainly raised some good points there. Um, I want to flip the, the coin. And in, instead of talking about, obviously, senior, uh, s- senior executives, what advice would you give sort of young women that want to aspire to join the mining sector? Um, what, what advice can you give? What lessons have you learned? What, how do you see um, young women that you've seen join the industry? What have they been doing that's different to maybe some other women that couldn't get into the industry? Again, good question, Rob. For me, it's really about why does the woman need to enter the industry? So we need to be clear on your why. Because if you don't know why you're entering the mining sector, you may exit very quickly. And that's one of the reasons why many women are exiting the industry, because they don't understand why. And for me, it was the evolving industry. It was about learning. It was about um, being in an uncomfortable zone all the time. And I was used to the monotonous zone. So if I had to speak to a young professional, I'd ask them, why do you want to get into the mining sector? What is the key career development areas you want to improve? So when you get the pushback, understand your intention. I'm in here because I want to improve my blasting skills. Or I'm in here because I want to improve my geology skills and I want to get up to GM level. So when you know what you're doing and all the hard work is leading up to that GM role, it's okay. And you're going to fight through it and you're going to navigate through it and you're going to look for tools and solutions. So for me, that's the most important element. Um, I would say if I was a junior person, never stop learning. And that's why when I did my MBA dissertation and doing my MBA um, in the role, there were so many tools and modules and frameworks that I learned and I was able to implement and bring into the mining sector. And those are some of the things that contributed to the success and the results that we were able to achieve So never stop learning. And even if you in a senior executive role, you need to know what are the mega trends? What's the economic indicators? What is digitalization? Where are we going? How does who I are impact um, the industry? These are things you always need to know about. Um, The fourth thing is really critical um, that I think we need to do is ensure that we have a strong network. And I think guys do this really well, which heads up to the men out there. You're very good at getting these networks together. You understand what's the deal you need to move um, move forward on, and you do that well. Women don't. They shy away. They wait for the invites. They don't put their hands up all the time. Uh, and I think that's important. You've got to have a strong network. And I try and have somebody senior, at least four or five people that are senior that I can go to and bounce ideas off. So if I want to make a different career move um, or if I'm considering launching a new product, I get some insights from people that have done it before. And it's good. And when people reach out uh, to networks and now an ultra touch on mentorship, which is critical, is they believe that mentors just need to give back to them. And, and in my belief, isn't that you need to see how you can be of service to your mentor, too. So what are the things you can mutually win on? So then that makes that relationship flourish. So advocate for the person. Um, if they need a contact, give them the contact. But be okay. Be okay for asking for help. Uh, be okay to have somebody more senior. And don't waste their time. Be respectful. Understand your outputs. That's really c- critical about mentorship. 
uh, I speak about so many things uh, that junior women can do, but I'm just, I want to talk about a key element, which I think is pretty quick and your audience can pick this up is women try to move quickly towards using this phrase. Uh, I just have a question. Can I ask this? Oh, and it kind of takes away a lot of their value and their credibility when they're asking for this. And I guess that's where your assertiveness question came in. But I guess what they need to do is be cognizant of when they say, just a question, uh, just want to ask this quickly. That's something you need to stop doing immediately. And I, to this day, still do the same thing. What we do, though, is make sure we have accountability partners in the meeting. So when I do say, just have a question, can I quickly ask that? Uh, somebody holds me accountable to say, you're asking just too many times. Uh, just ask the question. Just, you know, Rob, what are you doing about um, increasing sales in, in your region? Just can I ask a question? you lose credibility there. So stop asking for permission is another one. Kind of just make the, make the move. Women ask for permission to run a new strategy, run a new event, run a promotion. Do it, get the results, and show it for yourself. What we do is we ask for permission and it's too late then. Men are very good of asking for forgiveness rather than permission. And it's simple things. Uh, can I have permission to do training for these few ladies? Do the training, get the output. Hey, I did it. If it was wrong, fine. You know, so those simple two things I think is important for junior women to look at is if you can stop saying just and asking permission, rather be the person that takes action versus asking permission. It will shape you as a, as a leader going forward. Yeah. With the image of mining, um, and the younger generations. So do you think the younger female generation see mine? Do you, do, do you think they see mining as a, a dirty industry and may not want to go into it? What, what's their views of the mining industry? Because obviously I know speaking to many, many mining people, there is a brand image uh, for mining um, across the world, not just people in the industry, but just globally, they think mining is is um is not is dirty and many other things but what do you see for how do females what do they think of the mining industry and and do they have a negative thoughts as to the industry and that's why they probably don't move forward and and and, and into the industry well it's also a very good question we have different viewpoints and i don't think we can cast it into one standard form of thinking women don't find the industry attractive because yeah. there's not many reference points for them and that's what we're trying to advocate for if you can see more people that look like you you're going to see a different perspective and that's going to attract more women to it women that are in the industry are lucky and fortunate because they entered the industry in the form of getting bursaries um, or universities approach them. And that's where the awareness came through. So in South Africa, I'm talking um, in, with South Africa in mind. Yeah. And so they entered the industry, but then 
them, they're just not equipped with what's coming with that. So you have your engineering degree and off you go all sparky and ready. And then the industry is not that involved. And here you get roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And women quickly exit because they don't have the tools to navigate through those quick challenges. So, and I think more of those stories are being told. What we need to talk about more is the success stories. How many female engineers are taken through um, the engineering process and succeed as mine managers and general managers in the sector um, and also make it to VP levels and director levels. So when women view mining, I don't think there's a lot of awareness around what you can get out of the career, what is the advancements, how technology is influencing it. It's not as dark and dusty as we perceive it to be when we're in university or young professionals. So, so you're right, the perception is that it is a dirty industry, um, they, but the real point is really there isn't enough role models for us. And we're not doing enough advocating at universities to show geology and engineering as attractive um, careers for women. When uh, women get these bursaries, I think they're really fortunate that the education is paid for and it's, um, it's, it's a financial benefit for them. So I don't think they choose the career they choose the, the funding chooses the career for them. So that's how we've seen an increased amount of females. But I'd like us to eventually flip that. My little girls wanna be on their bucket list that's going underground. My nine-year-old says, mommy, on my bucket list, I wanna go underground like you. So, uh, you know, we need to influence more little girls to think like that. And, and that's how we're gonna evolve the industry. So, so I'm excited. I think uh, women need to have more awareness and we need to create that so that we can have more women uh, looking at this exciting and advancing sector. Yeah, and, and looking at, uh, I suppose, people that are not necessarily going through the, <coughs> sorry, gone through the educational system. If you look at say operators, for instance, that may have gone through a trade or may not have any qualifications. So again, do they look at the industry differently, differently than people that have gone through a sort of university or college um, education? If you're, say for instance, a mine site wants 500 operators and they're obviously open to women, men. <clears throat> Do the women look at the industry differently to those people that have gone through an education system? Well, I haven't been exposed to operators in isolation. I would say in any industry, you would look at it differently because you're faced with different scenarios. And I think when we talk about the barriers, you'd understand what operators go through, especially underground operators, also surface drilling operators. It's, it's a different viewpoint. And also, if you're entering the, the sector as an operator and you don't have a career map mapped out for you in terms of, okay, from an operator, what's my next move? Do I move to... Um, engineer, drilling, um, then do I become an engineer? You know, what will be my navigation um, through the mining sector? So I think when they're looking at it, they're just looking at the immediate job in front of them. And it's up to each individual to look at whether they need the academics to move into the next role and the next role. So um, it's difficult for me to just talk in the viewpoint of just yeah. operators. I think most organizations advocate for career development for every single role and each career map is different. Uh, but when you enter the industry, 
I've, I've engaged with many operators where I see them drilling uh, or using this 150 ton machines or they refueling and they do it with such passion. And I think it's really such a positive image to look at when you see a woman getting off this huge truck, uh, huge truck, and then they put the equipment on. It's kind of, you just watch in awe because you can just admire. Twenty years ago, we didn't see that. No. So I think from operators to technicians to everybody else, there's just so much advancement and so much opportunity for women and men in the sector. So. So I yeah. think we all have different viewpoints, but um, it's up to each individual on how they want to navigate through their career. Yeah. Um, how do you think, how, how do women add competitive, a competitive advantage to the mining sector in your view? Yeah, so in terms of return on um, what the competitive advantage that women add, 95% of the people that I've interviewed believe that women add a competitive advantage and when you look at the research that is currently out there, a lot of it underpins the return on equity. So if you look at many companies, uh, there is the highest percentage of where there's the highest percentage of women in board, board of directors, uh, those companies outperform their competitors uh, by 53% on return on equity. So that's what research shows. Uh, when you shift the focus um, to solutions rather than uh, problems. On average, many companies have, where they have the highest percentage of women as directors, those companies have outperformed, um, have outperformed in terms of return and investment and increase in sales by 42%. And when you look at women and how they do their big picture thinking, we've seen that most directors, female directors on the boards have outperformed uh, companies from strategic thinking in terms of um, return on equity, return on investment, we've also seen 66% improvements there. When you look at the estimate uh, to close uh, the gender gap currently, it's going, if we have gender parity, we're going to have 28 trillion worth of global um, demand and value into the economy by 2025. So if we can have the gap closed, um, most research shows that we'll have a 26% increase in our global um, economy by having gender parity. And why, why is this so? It's because women have different leadership skills than men. It's because we think differently. It's not about your race and in overall. It's also about the different experiences you have. And when you combat that, and you look at the big picture thinking, you're able to think of more innovative ideas by getting a different perspective. Um, when you're looking at different ways of influencing sales, that different innovative, innovative thinking influences how you can outperform your competitor because you're getting some leverage there. And in terms of return on investment, we've seen that where women are part of boards of directors, there's been, in terms of return on equity, 53%. Um, increase in those organizations versus their competitors. So overall, there's a lot of stats. I can tell you hundreds of researchers, uh, research that you can go through, but the most current one is the WE Forum. If you look at the WE Forum, um, the most recent article basically underpins that there would be a 26% increase in our global economy if we have gender parity there. Um, if you look at the Harvard studies, the most recent one shows um, the amount of return on equity, return on investment, increase on sales. So all that research is there. And I think my, um, 
my dissertation touches on a couple of it, but what, what we need to do as leaders in organizations is look at the value women add, leverage the value, but also in our souls and in our hearts, we need to understand having gender parity is just the right thing to do. So how can we as leaders do that? And the financial metrics just comes anyway. So most people can do it for the metrics, but I think the metrics for me was just for me to show the value to our, to our male colleagues. So we see that if we unite and we get common ground, we can outperform the competitors. Um, and, and I just touched on three different metrics, but there's so much more uh, that underpins the competitive advantage women add. But in, in summary, 95% of the people I surveyed believe women add a competitive advantage and all the other research um, is just the tipping point of it. Yeah, which is good to hear. Um, what can companies do then to sort of retain and uh, attract women into the uh, mining industry? Um, and is there a different approach to what, what they would do to attract uh, males? Yeah, so this one, I think, is a key question. What we need to look at, uh, Rob, is in order to retain somebody, we need to correlate that to what are the barriers of entry. And we can't talk about retention in isolation. For me, many women are still the traditional caregivers in homes. So when you use that in the mining sector, you need to consider what that underpins. So the mining sector, um, in order for women to have that work-life balance, they at first do not consider the industry because there is no flexible working, right? And although you can see um, that the industry has constraints, you've got to work longer hours, um, you have to work in really isolated locations. And this is not specific to only women. Men and women have to work in these environments. But when you look at women being the primary caregiver, it changes the dynamic. Because if you have to care for your family first and you're faced with this working environment, then how do you balance the two? So that's what, what, why I'm trying to raise this focus is companies need to look at what are the flexible working policies we could put in place for women because they are the primary caregivers. And when it comes to flexible working policies, in my career, I, I know that when I requested that, uh, I was seen as the weaker sex because my performance was based on how hard I worked and how visible I was. But when we start making more men and women aware that flexible working policies is not a weakness. It's a requirement to retain women so that we can get that competitive thinking. And the difference is women are the caregivers and historically that's not gonna change overnight. So what can companies do to, to offset that? And let's call out behaviors that believe or associate flexible working policies with not being as dedicated. So, um, yeah, so for me, I really believe that a higher percentage of women um, are in these roles as primary caregivers, so we need to influence it better. When I to look into um, certain other issues that um, are barriers for me, it's really around parity in terms of two things for me. We, we know the, the advocating for salary one is a big issue, but... There's things companies can do. Most 
women enter the industry and um, they are paid, you know, in my career, I was paid 40% less than my subordinates for a very long time. And we need to approach this problem in a constructive manner. It's not possible to just wave a wand or make one decision and it's going to make everybody, we're going to get salary parity. It's going to take a united effort. And what I would encourage companies to do is do an overview of, do a survey of all the different salaries, women versus men, and then set some goals, annual goals. In one year, this is the budget to get this grade up. In year two, this is the budget to get this grade up. In year three, this is it. And if you have that staggered approach, you are looking at it. Uh, the, the weak perception we have is women believe, ah, oh, in one decision, you're going to change it all. That's going to impact profitability of organizations. And I don't believe that demanding is the right approach. Secondly, women need to quantify the value they have. And I had to do that in my career. I had to put together the business cases. I doubled sales. I am 25% above target. I've introduced um, key sales metrics and tools. I've improved processes. I've trained. I've led years all the organizations I've created. So it was easy to quantify that. So I want to encourage women to quantify the value, but also help organizations to get to the parity. And that's something I believe would make women leave is when you are doing the same job as your colleague and you know you're earning 40 to 50% less than him, you don't want to stay in that industry. So it's something we need to maturely have these dialogues on and responsibly take actions with the right policies and the right actions. You don't need to show uh, employees how, how much you've changed. You can quantify it in the form of percentage. We've um, improved parity for females and males in this grade by 20%. In this grade, we're going to do this by 15%. And, and here's the annual plan for that. So I think that's key. Something else I want to talk about is PPE. It's these simple things that I think we overlook. And most people don't know it. So there is no awareness around it. Yeah. Women, for instance, don't have PPE designed for us. There is companies now that are involved in doing it. When I started, I had to wear those full overalls. It was quite difficult for me. And we're having these dialogues now, which is great, but it's still the procurement person that places the order. So you may have organizations that offer PPE for females. Great, thumbs up to that. But are our organizations driving the decision makers to buy the PPE, the correct PPE for females? Our feet is different from males. So wearing those hard safety boots are not as easy as it is for the guys. For me, the weight of it is it's just not designed for us. And like the procurement officers and the procurement managers that place those POs or the managers that place those POs for PPE for women, uh, these are the decisions we need to think of. Is it okay for women to take this whole overall off every time she's underground when she needs to use the restroom? You know, those are the practical things we need to think about. Also, is it the right colors? Have we considered those different things? And then something I want to talk about is we, we do this really well in our current organization is have courageous conversations. It's not easy to share some of these things because you feel like you always the one raising concerns. We've progressed so much and we can be so grateful for that. But there's some personal conversations that needs to happen. And if, if, if companies can have these platforms to have courageous conversations, it will be the quick wins. Oh, PPE is causing a frustration. Great. Procurement, 
change the vendor. It's a quick decision. And something I want to talk about is personal to me, and it's quite a vulnerable story. When I was 28, I had all my kids, but I was traveling four hours. And if I was in a surface pit, uh, it was difficult to use the restroom. So you would feel bad to call a vehicle up just to drive me because it takes an hour to drive into the pit. And now you have to call a vehicle up to say, oh, you know what, I need to use the bathroom. Can you take me back? And the decision I had to make then, Rob, was do I have a hysterectomy at that point? Now, why do women have to make that decision in their late 20s? Why isn't there enough facilities for females in pits? And now we can celebrate that there is more involvement happening, but it wasn't like that all the time. And there's some, there's some places that still don't have it. And so women have to make these decisions. For me to stay employed, I have to go through an operation and I have to take hormone supplements. It's a very tough biological thing. And I think when you have these platforms to have these courageous conversations, you get to understand it's not about just a woman being there. Let's understand mentally, um, the biological elements that, that we need to feature. So I think that um, when you look at the primary conditions women work in and you compare that you know, to, to males, we can see that there's a lot of progress, um, but I still don't believe we have enough toilets accessible to females. And I'm sorry to say it out here, but you know, it's a vulnerable story and it's, it's true. Um, yeah. And these are some of the things we need to consider. Yeah, no, no, it's good that you're actually raising these these concerns and these issues that you've experienced. It's not a case of you putting it out there. Um, you've actually gone through and experienced these these problems and it's been pretty serious problems. So, no, that's good. And uh, it's good that we can bring it out on this platform. And obviously we do get a lot of people listening um, and it just makes people think, think, just just think a bit differently. So, um, no, it's, it's good that you've uh, you've raised those issues. Um, I want to go on to your um, book launch. I, I know I know you're off uh, um, signing some books a bit later on after this yeah. podcast. But so I just wonder if you can tell the audience about your book, um, which is Women at Work, um, your journey or my journey into the macho world. <laughs> yes, it was quite a controversial cover, but I felt that I needed to to call it that because it's true. You know, I was so naive when I joined the mining sector and I thought that, oh, just my, my academics and my high spirit and my great output was gonna give me all the deliverables. And I was really amazed. So the book is basically a toolkit, a toolkit for women um, that wanna navigate through any career. So it's not just for mining. So a lot of the women that are in different careers um, and different sectors are also seeing value in it. And I basically share my raw experiences of being in the mining sector. And the whole intention and my hope was that my experiences can create an awareness for other women and it's tools that when junior women are in these scenarios, there's some toolkits to help them uh, get over the hurdles. And maybe instead of advancing over nine years like me, they could advance in a year and that's sooner um, than I did. And what's great is that our daughters don't have to start having the toilet conversations um, in the years to come. Let's have these dialogues now. Um, and the book is really around creating the awareness, having the toolkits for, for males and females to unite 
and, and look at how we can tackle these scenarios and get more gender parity, more um, favorable working conditions for both of us and leveraging a lot. So I get a lot of feedback and I think I've posted a lot on LinkedIn where women are like, uh, I've just read this chapter and this relates so much to me. I tell you on a daily basis, women are sending me screenshots of my book saying, I'm going through this. I can't believe that you had the exact same experience. So. For me, that one intention was just for it to serve one person and the fact that it has, I think um, that's good enough. But I would encourage males to read it because men do not have the intention to make women's lives a living hell. I think they are just doing what they know how to do the best they can. And when you create this awareness, men read it and they're like, whoa, I had no idea that I was impacting this person by doing this action. So whenever you have that dialogue and you can mutually learn and evolve from there, I think that's the greatness. And a lot of the people that are sharing these experiences and when they apply the toolkits, they're seeing the value thereof and they're not seeing it as an attack on men and being a feminist and advocating nonstop. It's about unity and it's about awareness and it's about how do we combine um, both of our skills and strengths so that we can get better in this industry and any role. So I'm really encouraged by that and, I'm, and I'd like to pave that positivity in, in any sector and hope that women get that value. Yes, certainly. So as a conclusion, uh, and on a positive note, uh, what's your highlights of your career? Um, and what have you enjoyed, enjoyed about being in the mining industry? Oh, that's, that's such a good question. Well, working in the mining sector for me has never been a boring day, like I said. I, my intention was to grow and to gain more sales experience, but wow, what I gained out of working in the mining sector is way more. On a personal level, I was able to evolve as a woman. I never cared about women in mining before, to be very honest. It's by accident that I was thrown in unfavorable circumstances that I felt the need to research how women can succeed in these roles. So that's my greatest blessing is through the vulnerabilities and my darkest moments, I was able to find this greatest blessing of serving others. Um, and when you're of service to others and you're able to contribute, I think that's when you really feel like you can celebrate um, some success. So that's been great. Uh, the highlight is, like I said, the challenging role. So moving to different senior roles all the time, learning about drill rigs, learning, learning about drill bits, now being in the fuel management systems, uh, fuel management in industry in the mining sector, understanding how we can leverage digitalization uh, to impact um, decarbonization. All these different things have just broadened my mindset. And I, for me, that is really the highlight. So some of the biggest highlights for me was having the first TSSR uh, as a female was the biggest highlight for me in my career because being the first senior female, there was no female sales representatives, junior ones, and there was one uh, there was one sales administrator that was really good at what she did. She could quote Rock Tools numbers from her head, and when she went for every single interview, she was told she's not good enough, she's not technical. Uh, they were not willing to take the risk on her. 
And what happened is I would brief her and give her the interview skills she'd do well. And then they'd come back, no, uh, but we feel that she doesn't have uh, enough references. So I personally had to write three references and go to different people, there, the technical manager, her trainer, and myself to say, we're willing to advocate that this first person becomes the first TSSR rock tool sales representative. And she's doing an exceptional job. So for me, that was the biggest highlight is making the first happen. And when we can mm. continuously create more firsts, that's when we can get um, more parity and we can get more numbers and together we can succeed. So I don't believe in titles, Rob, unfortunately, <laughs> titles and money and all the rest fades at the end of the day you're going to be remembered on how many lives you've impacted and for me that was my greatest highlight in the mining sector is yeah. having more women who succeed yeah no that's good and that's a good conclusion as well so really appreciate your time Rashima for um obviously providing um advice and your thoughts around obviously women in mining and obviously it is important it is a subject that's probably kept not necessarily always spoken about but you've obviously gave your views and um and, and a lot and a lot of them are definitely valid and a lot of challenges that you've experienced in your own life um if our audience wants to reach out to you and um may have some questions around your book may have some questions around obviously fuel management systems um how can they go about doing that and are you on any social media Yes, thanks. Uh, yes, so you can go to my website, uh, Um, Most of my details are there. My book is on Amazon. I'm on Instagram, and my handle is RamishaMortilal underscore author. I'm also on LinkedIn, and I have a Facebook page with um, quite a few followers, so you can reach out. And when it comes to fuel management systems, you can reach out directly to me, um, using the Gilbarco website, uh, www.gilbarco.com, and you'd be able to contact me directly. Yeah, and we can put all those in the show notes as well so people can uh, reach out to you. So really appreciated uh, your time. Um, definitely it's an insight, and uh, obviously I've learned a few things here. Hopefully the, the audience that who are listening not just listen to it, but take some of, take some of it on board and maybe just think about decisions that they're making whether they're senior whether they're mid middle management just when they're thinking about certain decisions just think about it may it may affect females and males differently and just just take that in consideration when you are making decisions so it's a good some very good points that you've raised there thank you rob for the opportunity yeah. and thanks for this great platform i listen to most of your uh, recordings and a lot of your uh, podcasts are so informative and really evolving. So it kind of gets me to ponder on what is my next move, uh, where's the industry going, and what are decision makers considering right now. So I love your podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. It's great. Yeah, I'll, pre I'll appreciate that. And thank you very much. And uh, and all to all the listeners as well. Appreciate if you can share share this podcast amongst obviously people within the industry. Um, also, if you're watching on YouTube, appreciate if you can like and share below um, so more people can have access to this content. So I um, hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, keep liking and sharing all our episodes. Um, if you've got any questions, feel free to email myself or Rashima um, and we can obviously answer those. So until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. 
Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.